Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Justin Willman has a show on Netflix. I don't know if you know that name, but he does magic tricks that people just can't figure out. And uh, the trick that I think really made him most famous is convincing people that they're invisible. Maybe you've seen clips of this guy doing this. This is how he does it. He goes to a park, and he has a crowd of people who are in on the prank. Okay, a whole bunch of people that know what he's doing. They're in on the prank. And he goes to a park, and then he picks out someone in the audience... An innocent bystander who isn't in on the prank, has no idea what's going on, just happens to walk by, and he picks them out of the crowd, and he says, hey, would you want to be a part of this magic trick? Sure. He covers that person with a sheet, and then on the count of three, rips the sheet off of them, and everybody who's in on the trick gasps. (gasps) He's gone! And of course, when you see... 50 people gasp at the same time, it seems pretty convincing. The, the gentleman that I saw on this Netflix episode genuinely thought that he was invisible. He starts breathing and, and, and he's trying to wave and get people's attention. And of course, the rest of the crowd is in on the prank. And so they just keep talking and he gets in between these people and he's trying to do stuff in front of them and they just act like he's not there and they just keep talking And he'd go over and he'd grab one person's water bottle, and then everyone starts, look, the water bottle's floating, and he's just losing his mind, but he isn't in on the the trick. The crowd's pretty convincing, and the guy legitimately gets scared that he is invisible. But why I tell this story is because as the watchers, you and I, We know that he's not invisible, obviously, and the rest of the crowd knows that he's not invisible. But no matter how many times they say or act like he's invisible, the truth is he's not invisible. It doesn't matter if they say it all day long, this is an invisible man, he's invisible, where'd he go? It doesn't matter how many times they say it, it's not true, it's not real. This week we're continuing in our study through the book of 1 John. And we've been doing a deep dive into a few particular verses. Now I want to continue on into chapter 2 and through chapter 2 with a big picture in mind. What is John really wanting to talk about in this book? And I think one of the key things that John really cares about in the book of 1 John is what's real. What's real. He doesn't care so much what you say if it's not real. So he starts the first few verses emphasizing the tangibility of Jesus. That's really the first thing that we see when it comes to the big picture outline. Chapter 1, verses 1 through, I think 4, is all about the tangible, the real life of Jesus. We can read that in verses 1 and 2 of the first chapter, if you want to look at that with me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. It's talking about Jesus. And we've seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you. Do you see how John cares a lot about the reality, the tangibility of Jesus? You can see Jesus. You can touch Jesus. You can testify about Jesus. He's real. And so then, therefore, anyone who claims to be Jesus' disciple should also show it tangibly as well. You should be able to see it in their life. You should be able to testify to it that they are His disciple because Jesus is physically real. So should be the faith of his disciples. And so we see that that follows in the big picture outline. After he talks about the tangibility of Jesus, we can see chapters 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 6, Christianity is shown tangibly in personal holiness. In personal holiness. You show your faith by how you live. Doesn't matter what you say. You don't live it. And we can see that all throughout that whole section there, chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. Let me just read a few verses. Let me read chapter 1, verse 6 to you. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we, we lie. We don't practice the truth. And then flip to chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 with me. Again, this whole say versus doing, he says in verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. It's the last part of that verse. So, because the life of Jesus is tangible, so should also the faith be of His disciples. And you can tell a disciple, you can spot one. Firstly, by their personal holiness. Them walking in the light. Them living a holy and upright life. This is what John wants to emphasize. It's tangible. You can see it. You can testify to it. Now today, I want to do the next portion of the big picture. Not only is Christianity seen in personal holiness, but Christianity is also seen in our fellowship. If you say you're in the light, then we should show it with how we live with one another. It doesn't matter if you say you're in the light if you're not showing it with Christian fellowship. John, here in this passage we're about to read, says this is a key indication of faith. Is your faith real? Is it tangible? If so, then it'll show itself in how you walk in the light, personal holiness, and if you have fellowship with other saints. The life of Jesus was tangible, and so the life and the faith of Christians should be tangible as well. Let me read the passage we're going to be looking at today. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 7, we're going to read through verse 14. 
Okay? This is what the Word of God says. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is also shining. Whoever says, there it is again, whoever says he is in the light, hates his brother, is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. If you say you have faith, it'll show in tangible ways. One of them being your loving fellowship with other Christians. And maybe you're here today and you think the word Christian should never be paired with the word loving. Maybe that's your experience. I don't know the history you've had personally. Maybe you're walking in here and you'd say those two are polar opposites. They should never be used in the same sentence, Christian and loving. I hate hearing stories of people that give testimonies of being wronged by people that claim to follow Jesus. And and maybe they do because we, we all make mistakes, right? So I hate hearing those stories. But I can say still, with absolute certainty. And if that's your situation, I want you to hear this. I can say with absolute certainty that biblical Christianity has a corner on the market when it comes to real, authentic love. What I mean by that is no one loves, no one knows love or no one lives out love anywhere close to biblical Christians. Not even close. Biblical Christians and biblical Christianity knows love like nobody knows love. Why would I say that? Because the one that we follow, the one that we worship, who is the Christ, He defined love. And then He perfectly demonstrated it by dying on the cross in place of sinners who hated Him. If anyone thinks they know what love is, Christians do. And so we live our entire life striving to the best of our abilities, right? We all fail to model that and emulate that and shine that that others might see that divine love, that incredible love. 
It's supposed to be our defining characteristic. And that's actually why John says that it's an old command for God followers, for people that follow God. In verses 7 and 8, let me read it again. He says it's an old command, but also a new command. He says, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that which you have heard from the beginning. It's nothing new. My people have always been about love. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Okay, let's pause here. What, what, is, what is John talking about when he says it's, it's, it's old, but it's, but it's also new? Well, it's an old commandment because the people that follow Yahweh have always been and will always be people that are characteristically loving or are called to be. All right, so it's nothing new. It's from Genesis. But it's new in the sense that there's a new intensity. The ante has been up to the bar has been raised when it comes to the call on loving our neighbors. When Jesus stepped on the scene in John's writing, there's a new intensity to this love that has never been seen before. That's why in John 15, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus says that we are to love each other. And he says, as I have loved you, you should love one another. Well, I know love, but now you're just raising the bar to an entirely new level when you say to love the way Christ loved by dying on the cross for sinners who hate him. So it's an old commandment, but there's a newness to this commandment when John's writing. And what he wants to say is that it doesn't matter what you say if you're a Christian you follow Jesus, it doesn't matter what you say if it's not what you actually do or live. Let me read verse 9 again. You can drop your eyes down to chapter 2, verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light but hates his brother still in the darkness. He says, I don't care what you say. If you don't show it, if you don't live it, Right? I'd say it all day long. It doesn't make it real. Right? And this is true just in general across the board. Right? Many say, maybe you're in this boat. I find myself in this boat. Many say, New Year's rolls around, New Year's resolutions come up, I'm going to lose weight. Right? But then I eat the same and I never go to the gym. Doesn't matter what I say, right? I'm not changing my weight. As unfortunate as it is. It doesn't matter what you say. Politicians can say student loans are going to be forgiven, but I don't think people should hold their breath on that. Right? It doesn't matter what you say. Mormons can say they worship the same God, and they will say that. But then if you ask them if they plan to be God themselves one day, if they're a good Mormon, they'll say, yeah, absolutely. It doesn't matter what you say. That's not Christianity. And here, John is saying, you can say you're a Christian. You can say you walked the aisle, you prayed the prayer, you were baptized. You can say all this all day long, but if you don't love his church, your words are void and they carry no weight at all. There's no legitimacy to it. 
Heavy words from John. He says what really matters, this is what really matters, is your lived out theology. Your lived out theology. And that's what he says in verse 10. Drop your eyes down again. I'm just walking through the passage as we go. Whoever does love his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. Let's just stop there for a second. You see, loving your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ, now that is evidence that you are truly a Christian. These are heavy words for us to weigh as we reflect on our own lives, aren't they? You see, true Christians, they dwell in God's light. That's what it says. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. True Christians dwell in God's light. That means that they spend time uh, with his people, that they are in his church, that they're in his word, that they dwell in his covenant They're about God, and they're about the presence of God, and they're about the things that God is doing. And so I love seeing families with kids, right? Because you're raising your kid up to abide in the presence of other believers. Christ's church, right? That's what we're all called to do. And I'd encourage each of you, to not just abide in His presence on Sunday, but all the time. And I think one good way is to capitalize on that family devotional that we're going to send you home with. Don't just toss it to the side. You, You could do that. No one would know. No big deal. But true Christians dwell in God's Word they dwell in God, amongst God's people. And vice versa, if you drop down to verse 14, we're going to jump back up to verse 10 and 11. But if you look at verse 14, you can see that not only do we dwell in God, but God dwells in us. Abiding is a two-way street. It says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. So it's a two-way street, real Christianity. There's this two-way abiding going on. So may it not just be on Sunday, but throughout the week, may we be in His Word. May we be about the things of God. See, there is, and I don't know, I don't know everyone I'm talking to right now, and so please hear this. Maybe you're not convinced of this, but there is no greater gift There's no greater life experience than abiding where God abides and having God abide in you. There's nothing like it. There's nothing better. There never will be. It's communion with God. One clear sign that you abide in the light or you abide with God You dwell in God. One clear sign that that's the case for you. I hope you want that. I hope you want that. One clear sign that that's the case is if you love others who are His. If you love your brother in Christ. It's one clear sign. 
that you abide with God and He abides with you. How, so how do you love your church family? How do you love Christ's bride? How do you love the church? And in some ways, it's the same exact as you would love anybody, right? You can go to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Right? And all of these general things are ways that you can love the church. You can be gentle and kind. You can be patient with them. But I think also, let's not just make it too easy, right? We don't want it too easy on us. Let's say you can love anybody. Be patient with them. Be kind to them. But I think Christian love between two Christians is different from showing love to, say, unbelievers, people that don't walk with Jesus. I think it looks different. Let me explain what I mean. You demonstrate your love towards your spouse, if you're married, in a very different way than how you would express your love to a co-worker. Amen? All right, okay. Tracking with me. What I, okay, it looks different. You love them both, but I'm going to love you a little different. Right. Showing love to a homeless person on the street, just driving up to Walmart. Loving that person will look different from how you should love, say, your toddler. Right? It just looks different. You can love both, but it's, it's different. In the same way, I think showing love towards a Christian, brother or sister, will look completely different from how you should show love to someone who isn't a Christian. To truly love a non-Christian, somebody who doesn't walk with Jesus, who doesn't know Jesus, to love that person, I don't think you can make light of the single massive difference that divides you and them. In fact, I think Making light and not talking about Jesus and His blood atoning sacrifice on the cross for you, not talking about that and making light of that, sweeping that under the carpet for the sake of some kind of civil unity, I think is actually horribly unloving to that person. Just not wanting to talk about it with them. Making light of something that divides you. It's not loving. I think, in fact, actually, for the non Christian to love somebody who doesn't walk with Jesus is to make big the, the division, that they might see the severity to follow Jesus. Now, when it comes to loving Christians, for our Christian relationships, though, I think we ought to see all the differences, as many as they might be, even if it's more than you can count. <laughs> And choose to celebrate just the one thing that unifies you. Even if it's the only thing that's common ground, and that's Christ. Right, so I think loving Christians looks a little different. Let me, let me read a quote from Charles Spurgeon, a preacher from a few hundred years ago. And to understand what he's saying here, he's going to use this term high church. Okay, I don't know if you've ever heard it before, high church. But... Um, what he means by that is different kind of tradition than Baptist, usually Anglican, something that looks a little more Catholic. Okay? 
And this is what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, where the Spirit of God is, it's really small, there must be love. And if I recognize any man to be my brother in Christ, the love of Christ constrains me to not think of him as a stranger, but as a fellow citizen with the saints. Now, I hate high churchism. Like how my soul hates Satan. But I love George Herbert. Even though George Herbert is a desperate high churchman. I hate his high churchism. But I love George Herbert. From my very soul. And I have a warm place in my heart for every man who is like George. Let me find a man who loves my Lord Jesus Christ as George Herbert did. And I don't ask myself whether I should love him or not. There's no room for question. I can't help myself. Unless I'm able to stop loving Jesus Christ, I cannot cease loving those who love him. So you can have all these differences that divide in the body of Christ. As long as there is one thing, the most important thing that unifies us, it has to be love. So, John says that if you love your brother in Christ, it is evident that you truly are a Christian. Verse 10. On the flip side, though, drop your eyes down to verse 11, and hating your brother is actually evidence that you're not actually in the family of God, that it's not a legitimate brotherhood. You're not actually brothers. Let me read chapter 2, verse 11. But whoever hates his brother, I put brothers in quotes, He's in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You know, John actually says this a little bit later in chapter 3. If you just go over there really quickly, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, he says, We know that we have passed out of death into light because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Darkness, same thing. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So there's no question what John's trying to say here, right? If you love your brother, it's evidence that you walk in the light, but if you hate your brother, you're not actually brothers. You're walking in darkness, or as chapter 3 says, you're walking in death, and there is no light that abides in you. There's no way you could have eternal life. Wow. So let's go back to chapter 2. Not loving the church shows that you walk in darkness and that you're blind. Now, both darkness and being blind are metaphors commonly used in Scripture to describe people that aren't saved. If you walk in darkness, that's a common metaphor for not being saved. If you're blind spiritually, it's a common metaphor for not being saved. So he's saying, if you live in hate towards the church or other Christians, there's good reason to doubt your salvation, that weighs heavy on us. And especially as the proclaimer to you today, that weighs heavy on me to not get this wrong in understanding it. But I think John's very clear here. So what does it mean to hate? To not love? 
the church and other Christians in it? Well, there's obvious ways. Just like as there's obvious ways to love, there's obvious ways to, to hate. Very clear ways, easy to spot signs of hate, right? When you gossip about others. When you're regularly slandering when you're trying to avoid them at all costs in spite of them, right? These are things that are not signs of love and what alternatively would it be but hate? So there's clear signs of not loving the church, but I think there's also, hear me out, less blatant ways of not loving the church that are just as legitimate and apply it to verse 11. Less blatant. You're not going around gossiping or slandering. But maybe there's just, and you, you would know what I'm talking about, there's just a general desire to find others in the wrong. Always dissatisfied with the church family, looking for and waiting for people to slip up. Just having a general dissatisfaction with the rest of the church. I think it's less subtle, but I think it's just as legitimate a dislove. Now, l- let me read what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says on this issue. He says, the one who loves his dream community more than his actual community hurts his community, even if his intentions are honest and earnest. You can have good intentions and earnest intentions, but there's just this general dissatisfaction with the people sitting right next to you. And loving this made up, not real ideal of what church should be more than the actual people sitting across the table from you. That I think John is trying to call out right here. And I think also what applies to verse 11 here when he says if you just don't love the church, I think It's also just rejecting the gathered church in general, right? Wanting nothing to do with God's people, not wanting nothing to do with His bride. I think it applies to verse 11 here. Another way of saying it is there are sins of commission and sins of omission. Have you ever heard that before? You can commit, right? Commit a sin. That's sins that you do, like gossiping about them or slandering. And there's sins of omission, where you omit from doing things that you should be doing. And like, that's like rejecting the gathered church, wanting nothing to do with the church, right? I think both sins of commission and uh, committing sins and omitting from doing things that you should do, both of them have the same root sin of not loving God's people, which then in turn Others should question your salvation. Let me read verse 11 again. Whoever hates his brother, what does that look like? Whether you don't do something you should or do something you shouldn't, whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. And now maybe you're wondering, why in the world are you hitting so hard on this? Why, why are we just glazing over? Well, first off, it's because it's the Word of God. But John 
says even for us in the next three verses, verses 12 through 14, why loving others in the church is so critical. Why it's so important that we get this right. And if you noticed it, he actually addresses three groups of people, doesn't he? Children, fathers, and young men. Let me read it one more time. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Now he jumps back to saying children, fathers, young men, all over again. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong. Because the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, maybe you're wondering why, like I was, am, why does he address children, fathers, and young men? Three times for, two times for all three of them. Why children, fathers, and young men? And we're going to ask that question and address that question in length on Wednesday at our part two um, that we have. If, if, you, if you don't know about that, on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m., we're always in here and we're just digging deeper into what was talked about on Sunday. So if you have any questions about the sermon on Sunday, bring it to part two on Wednesday. And I have a lot more I will never get to on Sunday. And we talk about it at part two. So we're going to ask that question. Why children? Why fathers? Why young men? But he addresses all three. And I think if you're just wondering, well, then does this a- apply to me? I would say... Yes. John talks to, quote-unquote, children as if to all the readers that he's talking to. We see that in 2 John, the next epistle, 2 John verse 1, where he says, um, from the elder, he's the elder, and he's writing to the elect lady and her children. That's everybody. And he does it in 1 John as well. If you go to 1 John chapter 2, chapter we're in today, verse 1, he says, my little children... He's talking to everybody. And then again, later in the chapter, in verse 28, now, little children, abide in Him. So, so, just because you're not a child, this applies to you. And he gives three reasons that I'm going to run through very quickly. Three reasons why Christian love is so important. Firstly, because A Christian's life is supposed to glorify God. You want to know why you need to love the person that's so hard to love right next to you? Don't look. Don't look. But if you're like, I struggle to love them. They're very unlikable. (laughs) Why? Why is it so important to love them? One, because your life is meant to glorify God. It's verse 12. Let me read it one more time. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. It's for His name that you live the life that you live. Do you know that Christians should be known for their love? But if we hate, we show that we're no different than the rest of the world, don't we? Show that you're no different. When Jesus came into your life, nothing changed. We're just like anybody else who doesn't know Jesus. When we hate, 
It doesn't bring honor to the name of Jesus Christ saving and dying for sinners. It just says we're no different. And in doing so, it brings shame, not glory to his name. So reason number one, why should we love is because our life is meant to glorify God and what he did for us in transforming us. Secondly, I'd say it's so important that you love the person in this room. Because we should know better. We should know better to hate. Because we know God. Verses 13 and 14 say this. I'm writing to you fathers. I'm talking to you about love because you know Him. Who's from the beginning. I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know Him who is from the beginning. Why should you love? Why is it so important to love? Because we should know better than to hate because we know Him. See, my dad... Um, my dad, he went to Votek and went to school for diesel mechanics, stuff like that. And so he can work on an engine, no problem at all. Then there's me, his son, and uh, if your car breaks down, I can look at it for you, and I could probably spot where the battery is and let you know that if you didn't already know. And I know where the red is and where the black is. I can connect the cables. I'm good at it. Um, and so people just always think, well, Isaac, just because, because you're, the, you're Andy's son, he knows. How do you not know? It's just expected that because, well, they say well, the apple shouldn't fall far from the tree, right? So if he knows, it's expected that I would know how to do those things. I think it's true when it comes to being God's children, You see, God created love. God defined love. He personified love. He perfected love. He founded love. And if we are his children, we should too. So why is John writing about loving each other? Because we know him. Because we're his children. So we should know better than to hate. The last reason is because Christians should be far past hating other people. should be well in our rear view. Let me read verses 13 and 14 one more time before we're done. He says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. You've overcome the evil one. And he says in verse 14, I write to you because you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Have you ever seen a child regress from progress they've made, whether words, speech, or actions? They do something and then they regress and it's like, I thought you knew. What are you doing? I thought, I thought you've... Right? Kids regress all the time. Well, John's writing to people who have overcome the evil one. Overcome the, the grips of Satan in their life and the rule of Satan. And now he's seeing hate in the body of Christ and he's saying, you, you've regressed. This should, you should be far past this by now. You've already overcome that. So that's another reason why we should love. And so I, I'm going to wrap up here. What we need to know from this is 
God doesn't only want professing Christians. He wants lived out Christians. Christians that show their faith by loving other Christians, just loving people, loving the church. And maybe you don't know God this morning. So this concept of loving people that are unlovable, it's very hard for you to figure out. I think the first step for you is to come to know the God that we serve, the God of love, the God that defines love for us and models it to us. We love because He first loved. So if you don't know God today, I'd encourage you to come and talk with one of the prayer workers They're here to talk to you about that, to pray with you, to introduce you to the God of love that we serve. There's no better community than the church. There should be no better community than the church when it comes to love. If you do walk with God and you do know Jesus, we need to show it with how we treat one another as the world is watching. May we be a people of love like our Lord and Savior is the God of love. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 